Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and my days of not taking you seriously are certainly coming to a middle. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and also, I can kill you with my brain. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of violent non-state actors and relative deprivation. Today, we'll be talking about Firefly, which is available at most streaming services, though not Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. Dan, did, where did you watch it? I watched it on Hulu because I believe it was if it you is part of Hulu, the subscription. Yes, it's yes, free yes. on Hulu if you're already paying, but it's also available on Apple and Amazon and Tubi right. and like all those other things. You could even buy the DVD and do it old school. I like. actually thought about that, but I don't yeah. have a DVD player. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair enough. Okay, yes. <laughs> Next week is the beginning of hot sci-fi summer, which we've been building excitement for. I think. Yes. In, in, in a very real way. I'm sure right. everyone out there has been counting down the days on their calendar. <laughs> and I've asked you to explain it a few times. This time I thought I'd ask, what does hot sci-fi summer mean to you? <laughs> I love that you asked it the way you would at a Passover Seder. <laughs> <laughs> On other seasons, we tackle serious sci-fi. What does hot sci-fi summer mean to you? I I think, let's put it this way. In 2022, what hot sci-fi summer means to me is, for lack of a better way of putting it, sci-fi that is A, awesome, and B, mostly I do not have to take seriously. (laughs) In other words, we're going to be discussing some good stuff. We're going to be discussing some very entertaining stuff. We're not going to be discussing Alien. We're not going to be discussing Gattaca. We're not going to be Station discussing... Station Eleven. Station Eleven. No downbeat shit is going to yeah. happen in yeah. Hot Sci-Fi Summer. There always has to be an ending that is at least, you know, somewhat positive. There should be some explosions and some some really good action. We are tackling stuff that you would want to go into an air-conditioned theater and watch during the summer. I think, would that be the safe way of putting it? That um, is exactly the way that I think about it. Okay. And yeah. I have to admit here, I haven't seen Maverick yet. <gasps> Anna, oh, you really like beyond? Be, I mean, it's it. It doesn't really work for our podcast, but it actually is an entertaining movie, and it is a far superior film to the original Top Gun. I would add. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the original. I love, of course, as a young wait tween. I loved the original Top Gun. Oh, okay, you did see the original. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I thought you said you hadn't seen it. Okay, yeah. yeah. So in my recollection it would be a high bar but i'm sure if i rewatched top gun today <laughs> oh if you rewatch top gun like i so i you'll be happy to know on i actually my wife had not had never seen top gun and so i watched it with her before we went to see top gun maverick and I, it was just hysterical watching her watch it where at the end finally she said so just to be clear Iceman is the hero right and you're like, yes <laughs> yes you figured it out because, you know, the way that movie looks to you as a teenager versus as a grown-ass person, you discover who the real hero is. Just let me put it that way. <laughs> I was going to ask you how you're doing, Dan, mm-hmm. but I think you seem to be doing really well. Yeah, I mean, you know, all not- things, let's just bracket out mm-hmm. all things considered. Right. All things considered. You know, not writing four columns a week has been pretty nice, actually. I'm enjoying not doing that. I am enjoying having, you know, people talk to me about potentially writing for them. So that's also, you know, potentially promising. So we'll, there will probably be a few announcements coming forward at some point. And also I'm about to go on vacation. So, you know, uh, how can I not be in a, a good mood? Again, all things considering. Speaking of which, how are you doing, Anna? All things considered, mm-hmm. I'm all right. You know, it's been a rough week here at Austin Mm-hmm. base <laughs> austin based austin stn base yes. yeah austin stn base but you know taking a lot of pleasure in the new kitten 
I am taking a lot of pleasure in the new kitten as well, Anna, because you keep posting pics on, on Twitter and elsewhere. And, and I have to say, they're good pics. You're, you're yeah. providing good cat content. Yeah, she's she's amazing. She you know her name is Molly <laughs> Ivans and she mm-hmm. very much takes after her namesake. She's fearless. She's vocal to the point of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what she wants when she wants it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just talking to my my friend Tracy and saying I'm just the timing on on having a kitten right now is really really good. Good yeah. time to have a kitten. Yes, yeah. I agree with that. So if you haven't yet, by the way, do please consider becoming a patron. Uh, our Patreon page is patreon.com slash space the nation. If you don't want to become a patron and, you know, that's OK. We, we, not every you can't be a patron for everything, obviously. A great way to support the show that costs you absolutely nothing is to rate and review it and to tell your friends and neighbors. You can also contact us. We are on the social medias, as it were. Most obviously Twitter. I am at Dan Dresner. I am at Anna Marie Cox. And we welcome discussion. If you are a patron, you can be on the Discord. Yeah. Which is great. Pretty good. It's it's such a fun place. And Dan has actually been there somewhat recently. (laughs) I have been. Again, one of the advantages of not writing four columns a week. Yeah. All right. We should get to the meat of the matter. We're talking about a much requested property. Yes. So we are tackling Firefly. There's a way in which you can almost consider this a quasi-cannon fodder episode because... For many sci-fi geeks, the the tragedy of Firefly only lasting a half season is quite well known. It's it's sort of an on running, or it's an ongoing uh, joke. It's an ongoing uh, trauma, really. It's an ongoing trauma. It's now twenty years old, actually, yeah. or almost twenty years old. Now, obviously, the question was if we were going to do a Firefly episode, how best to focus it because there are thirteen episodes. To be fair, I suggested that we choose the two episodes or recap the two episodes featuring everyone's favorite swindler, Saffron, played by Christina Hendricks. Yes. And of course, I I readily agreed. And that's Mm -hmm. a great economical way to choose a single arc. And it's funny. Do you remember like watching it when it was on air? So I am probably part of the problem because I didn't watch it when it was on the air. If memory serves, the half season of Firefly was also Buffy, the last season of Buffy. And I was obviously very into Buffy. I had a very small child. There wasn't a ton of TV (laughs) that I was watching. And I didn't quite get this show as it was being promoted, which is something I think we'll be talking about a little bit later. And so it didn't really resonate. And it was only, I think, a year or two later when someone gave me the DVDs and I actually watched it that I realized, oh, God, I am i can't believe I helped cancel this by not watching it. And I felt horrible. Well, to some degree, it was doomed, if that makes you feel any better. Yes. I remember watching this when it was on the air. Oh, you watched it on the other. Oh, yeah. I remember appointment television. Like, I Mm -hmm. remember popping popcorn and being like, it's almost time for Firefly. Yeah. And I remember it being canceled. I actually am a maybe an outlier for Mm -hmm. SF fans in that I didn't like the later seasons of Buffy. Hmm. (laughs) When it got to be just so soap opera to me, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I stopped being that interested. But... You know, I loved like the first four seasons, maybe, okay. and I knew who Joss Whedon was. Yeah, I I was, and and this is a sweet spot for me, even more than vampires, probably. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, I remember the drama when it got canceled. I remember going to see the movie. So I'm very happy to be talking about this. Mostly, what I also remember is that you know, I, I think he felt sufficiently bad about Firefly being canceled that Nathan Fillion 
then appears in the final episodes of Buffy because he was free. Of, of, He's of, also of like a Joss stan, which yeah. we'll talk about a little bit. Yes, too. we will. He's, he's, he's just super, super into Joss. So yeah. there's that. I will tell the story behind the story, or at least some of it. But before we do that, we have our Chekhov's What's It section. Dan? Yes, this is the component where we look at something that appears in the first act of whatever we are watching slash reading, and we know that it's going to come back. For me, I'm going to say it's either Chekhov's naked butt in the form of Nathan Fillion or Chekhov's lipstick. It's a tough oh, choice. Oh, you can't say naked butt because that scene takes place from act three. That's true, but you... Maybe this is so. Is it a cheat because we do see it? Is literally the first thing we see in the sh- in the episode, though. So. But it's also clearly a flash forward. Forward, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then I will fall Chekhov's back and lipstick. say it's Chekhov's lipstick. I agree because um, I was going to say Chekhov's companion, but really, <laughs> I think the lipstick probably. Although I'm referring to Inara, but anyway, it's all companiony. It's, yes, it's companiony. The companions are a big part of the show. They are. Speaking of which, let's let's just get to the story behind the story. And so, Anna, please tell us the ballad of Firefly and Fox's genuine confusion over what to do with it, and also the complicated legacy of watching a Joss Whedon show at this point. Yeah, I don't want to get too far into the Joss. Into the Joss? Um, Joss. (laughs) That sounds like a thing. People who follow this genre are going to be at least vaguely familiar with it. The short version is that a few years ago, female actors came forward to say that he had been abusive on set to various degrees. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much a sex pest issue as it was um, abusive behavior, controlling behavior, bullying uh, behavior, bullying yeah. behavior. Also from one of the Avengers movie, a, a black actor. No, it was from, uh, it was from justice league. It was Ray Fisher. justice league. You're right. Ray Fisher, uh, Ray Fisher, who played uh... that robot man. God, why it's cyborg? He played cyborg. Cyborg, right? <laughs> that robot man. I, I, I got know, it. <laughs> you know how awful it is. I was blocking, and I kept wanting to say crypto. He plays crypto, and <laughs> and now I want to have a supervillain named Crypto just for the hell of it. But that, that's a whole complete aside. I'm sorry. Get back to the story, Anna. <laughs> and he would be, you know, sort of patterned on Elon Musk. That's yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. So some female actors and one black actor have come forward to say they felt bullied. Mm-hmm. A few people. One person in particular, Nathan Nathan Fillion, (laughs) who isn't neither black nor a woman, has come forward to say that Joss treated him just fine. (laughs) So I don't doubt that. Right. And I also don't doubt that it is possible for someone to be abusive and also kind to many people. Or even worse, abusive at times and charming at times. Right. Exactly. To the same people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously, Fillion has to say doesn't mean a lot to me as far as like, was he abusive or not? Yeah. He he has been more outspoken than anyone else on this. He said that he would do Firefly if Whedon came back, but would not do it if he didn't come back. Mm -hmm. And he has said that they have talked about doing Firefly. Mm. It seems like a slim chance. Yeah. I I mean,. It is interesting because, like, you know, we always talk about how IP is a flat circle. Now, it should be noted that I believe two of the primary characters are, at least within the canon of the story, dead. I am a little surprised that no one has actually tried to resuscitate, like, 
a story within the Firefly universe, as it were. Like, that oh, would strike me as the easier Dan, way to do it. Dan, there are yeah. many stories in the Firefly universe. There's, like, ah, okay. six books and comic books and yeah. a video game. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. And we'll talk about that later. Okay. To get back to the Ballad of the Stupid Network. Yes. So the first problem is that they aired it on Friday nights, which is <laughs> sometimes known in the industry as the Friday night death slot. And should you say that that just sounds like a myth, apparently Fox at this point had canceled 30 different shows that premiered at the same time slot over the past few years. So there's that. And the ads for it were maybe not going for the right audience. Yeah, as I said, like, and I was one of the, like, I saw some of the preview ads for this. And I remember thinking, I don't get it. And, you know, yeah. They made it look like kind of a laugh a minute action show with some sexy time the first ad for it mentioned a <laughs> i cannot believe this they showed anara and said cosmic hooker oh god <laughs> oh dear the cast they were like naming the cast right they were like uh, the maverick captain the maverick captain the cosmic, the cosmic hooker, hooker. <laughs> And in the same ad, I shouldn't laugh at that. they called it the most twisted new show on television, which... Oh, God, this is early 2000s. Yeah. Like, try... <laughs> the show's extreme, man. Dude. And then another ad they started with looking for some action on Friday night and showed what I think might be one of the, like, three different nude sex scenes, like, even, you know, like, where you can tell the actors are supposed to be naked. Right. To be fair on it, there are sexy times on this show. There I mean, are, but there are very few bit, explicit sexy yes, times. Yes, that's correct. Yes. I mean, it is supposed to be on, it was supposed to be on network television. So, yes. Right. right. But so that they use the same specific scene uh, in both of the ads that I saw, which is like the Nathan Fillion's naked but, back on yeah, top yeah. of someone else. Ah, okay. Fair enough. So they imply like, this is the kind of action you're going to be getting, <laughs> right? Yes. And I could think we can say, although there's sexy time in this show, it's not if you that's what you're looking for. It's not is, the primary. This thing is not the show. show for you. If yes. that's like, oh, I want to see some sexy time. Like you should just you should watch Melrose Place. Like that would be <laughs> the thing to do. Yeah. Also, and I've forgotten about this. The episodes were aired out of order. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the second installment, uh, the great the train heist or the train, right. uh, I can't remember the exact name, but the first episode and then they are the pilot last. Mm. And this is interesting, too. Apparently, Fox didn't like the fact that Wash and Zoe were married. What? Oh, that's just... Because it cut down uh-huh. on the sexy time opportunities. <laughs> of course, you could show married sexy time. Married yeah, sexy yeah, time yeah, whatever. That doesn't allowable. exist. We all know oh, that's a fa- oh, that's fiction. Anna, that is, that's, oh, that's, that's a lie. <laughs> See, that's like the barrier, the, the, you know, the weight of disbelief that you'd have yeah. to lift to believe that that <laughs> is like much well, higher than a spaceship. We can buy this being in space, but happy married sexy time. Whoa, now you're asking the viewer to do a lot on it. Yeah. You know. And also Fox felt like Mal was too cynical and not enough of a clear hero. Obviously, these days, no problem whatsoever to have an antihero, but yeah. they didn't like kind of Mal's rougher edges. Let's say. So I'm surprised they were okay with the name Mal, I guess. <laughs> His name is Mal. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, everything went wrong that could go wrong. Yeah. 
and he didn't you know although Buffy was a big cultural touchstone it didn't quite have like the audience weight right to like guarantee him more time yeah right Mm -hmm. so you know that's that's what happened and now we are left with 13 episodes and only the ability to imagine what might have been. I mean, there's the movie as there well. Movie. Maybe yes. that is why I thought there were 14 episodes, Dan. That would be like fair. The movie um, is kind of a the movie extended is a, yeah, episode. It's a quality episode would be yeah. the way to put it. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of quality episodes... Let's get to the plot. So we're going to be talking about two episodes. Uh, the first one is Our Mrs. Reynolds and the second one is Trash. So let's get to act one, the special level of hell. Welcome to 2517. The earth that was is no longer. Humans have migrated to a solar system uh, with lots of habitable planets and moons because they have completely despoiled earth. The inner planets of the solar system form the alliance and they wish to create a solar systemic order that fits to their liking. There are the independents who were on the outer lying planets, didn't like this, didn't cotton to it, fought and lost a war with the Alliance. The brown coats, they're called. Yes. Our crew on the Serenity are led by ex-independent, ex-brown coat Mal Reynolds, just trying to live outside of the Alliance's yoke by legal and illegal forms of commerce. The Serenity operates out on the raggedy edge, where life is a mix of high-tech spacecraft and rustic Old West. Would you say I, I set the table correctly here, Anna? Yes, I think there's a couple of things that are interesting background, mm-hmm. which is that these planets were all terraformed. Yeah. In order to or make a lot them, them habitable, were, yeah. or a lot yeah. of them were. Right. And there is a reason why everything looks like looks dusty and, you know, plainsy, you know, why every planet they visit looks like Oklahoma basically, mm-hmm. is that according to show lore, mm-hmm. those planets were not finished terraforming. Oh. Those planets were treated badly from the alliance by the alliance you know, from day yeah. one, and mm-hmm. therefore don't have as much water, don't have pretty pretty trees, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. etc. Cetera. I mean, we'll just skip past the science of that. We'll just like <laughs> just go right yeah. right past it. The other thing I will point out is that the superpowers in this universe are actually an alliance between the U.S. and China. Right, and at various times during the show's run, the characters will swear slash mutter speak. things in yeah. speak in Chinese in Mandarin. And actually, I, I do remember that the cast hated that part of it the most because obviously they often mangled it and like had to you know do it constantly. To be honest, I'm not a huge fan of it either. Mm-hmm. In part because it really highlights the fact that there are not very many Chinese people. Yeah, that was the one thing <laughs> I, I remember thinking at the time and remember thinking again watching like this time. Like, are not any native is, speakers of the language that they're throwing around. Yeah, like, it probably would have helped if there was one Asian member of, you know, the crew on Firefly. Like, that probably would have been a good idea. If you're going to make that observation, which is not a bad IR observation as things go, then you do kind of want to follow through on it. And they didn't really. I mean, I actually can't even think of a single... Oh, I couldn't either. Like, as I was watching, I'm like, of course, it's the me today that really notices this. Yeah. I I remember noticing it at the time also. Like, It it would have also, the the implication is that, like, only the English-speaking white people are rebels, you know? Well, so there's... Not just white. I shouldn't say just white. But, like, it makes it look like the Americans are the rebels. We might want to get to this a little later, but there is a way in which you could look at the civil war that's talked, or the war between the alliances and independents in the show... And there is kind of a parallel to the Civil War there, the U.S. Civil War, 
in which the alliance is the union and the independents, the brown coats are the confederates. Because to be fair, they want to be left alone. They want to be, you know. Uh, oh well, we were do. we are definitely going to talk about all this. So yeah, let's yeah. just let's all right. Just let's move on to the plot. Move right on. Yes. Oh, one last thing, which we will also talk about, which is in this solar system, there is a category or of employment called companions. They are very talented and trained escorts in a variety of skills. They are academy trained, I believe, is the the yes. And I would point out they're escorts in more than one way, which is to say, yes, the meaning that you would think there is the sexual component, but that is hardly the only thing they do. There's a lot more that they do. They also can function as bodyguards. Yes, they are trained in martial arts, right? And can use a gun and all of that. Right. And they have a weird social status in this universe. Like, I think they're primarily exalted. And then every once in a while, someone calls them a whore. It's very weird. Mm -hmm. But let's move on. Our first episode begins with some poor family looking like it's about to be robbed. But as it turns out, our Serenity crew was setting a trap for the thieves. There's a shootout and the good guys win, which means it's time for a hoedown. Mal gets good and drunk and dances with a comely redhead, not named Anna. (laughs) <laughs> the next morning, the Serenity bugs out to avoid the Alliance, and Mal is surprised to see that comely redhead, named Saffron, on the ship claiming to be his new wife. Shepard Book suggests that by the customs of that moon, Mal might have drunkenly proceeded with the rites of marriage during the hoedown. This leads to much bemusement among the crew, although companion Inara seems jealous, and Jane wants to trade his gun Vera for Saffron. Anna, I'm just going to come out and say this, given the cast as well as guest star Christina Hendricks, is this the sexiest episode of Space the Nation we've ever discussed? <laughs> Dan? Yes, Anna? Jude Law. Okay. Let me rephrase. Is this the sexiest episode of Space the Nation for me? <laughs> <laughs> because yes, I Dan. will grant you, Jude Law is smoking hot. Yes, in Gattaca, Dan. But, but the movie beyond him is so sexless, whereas this is definitely not. So. Well, Jude Law, yeah. you know, best, you know, hottest couple in a Space the Nation movie, Jude Law and his cigarette. <laughs> there we go. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And I will say, yes, Christina Hendricks is is super sexy, though I find like a good consumer of commercial television, the Anara Mal duet to be the sexiest thing. That is right. Like she's great. And for the purposes of the story, also, she is super sexed up. Right. Like she's just. You know, and for she's her playing purpo- a role. Yes. For her purposes right. in the story. Although I would also say, by the way, she's actually, I mean, she is super sexy, but like it works in this, particularly in the first half of this episode, by playing the total innocent. Oh, but sexy innocent. Come on. Dan. Yes, exactly. I know. I know. Like yes. she's playing yes. the sexy innocent. Like when she yes. does the, th- like when she comes on to Anara and she's all like in Hindi. Oh, that was, that was the sexiest moment we've That's ever That's very sexy, but yes. part of what makes it sexy is she's like, but you know, the whole implication is, but I've never done it with a woman before. Right, right. Right? Yes. So yes. she's bringing the schoolgirl sexiness in this way that. I personally <laughs> did not find as attractive maybe as some people who are attracted to women generally are. Yeah, like, I'm going to correct you on this, Anna. That was extremely sexy. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I, just, you know, there are times where our tastes are different, Dan. That is there fair. Is, there and are sometimes. All I think- I'm trying to say is Christina <laughs> Hendricks is bringing a lot of heat <laughs> to this episode. And yes. Marina Bakara reciprocates in kind. So it is like, a very yeah. sexy scene. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I will say that. I don't want to nitpick. 
Mm-hmm. That's what this show is about. So right. um, this <laughs> podcast, when I shouldn't ever say I don't want to nitpick on this podcast because that no, could that's, be that's what we like do. a subtitle that, of the yeah. podcast. We could have a section called I don't want to nitpick, but I mean, that is the debris field in some ways. Yeah, but, that, yeah that's true. The marriage thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a super simple marriage ceremony and you yep. would think other people would have no but if it is their marriage ceremony you would think yeah. other people would have noticed that a marriage ceremony was taking place. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think slightly more problematic though we can explain it away for them. Saffron we learn later. Mm-hmm. That she's basically, you know, a galaxy-wide grifter. Right? Yes. Well, like, solar system wide. Solar yes. system wide. Yes. Like she goes from town to town grifting. <laughs> she has a lot of husbands on her. She has a yes. lot of husbands. She goes she's been, she's done this before. Yes. She's done this before. But she tells Mal that she was like raised on this moon in the so-called House of the Maidens. Right? Oh, right. But I didn't believe that. Like, well, I just so, assumed so that was did a story. she just infiltrate this community? Yeah, and go to the hoedown. So yeah. see, that's the part. It's supposedly like this small, close knit religious community. That's what Reverend Shepherd Book says. I right? guess, but like, so I, it's, you know I mean, what? it's a nitpick. It's a nitpick. It's a nitpick. Uh, no, no, no. And but I, I, I guess my defense is what happens in a hoedown stays in a hoedown. Like I, <laughs> there were, there was, except, there was a no, lot of drinking going except on. Except no, what happens in a hoedown? The whole point of this is that right. what happens in a hoedown doesn't stay at a hoedown. Fair so enough. So I do think it's a little weird that she's able to infiltrate this supposedly, you know, very religious, austere, small austere, town. Yeah, like yeah. small town, and just go to the hoedown apparently right and pass herself off as i will amazing. grant that that was the sort of hand wavy portion of yeah. the, the plot that's, but also that's but true. it's also important for the plot because she has yeah. to because mal and everyone else have to believe that she was like raised in a convent basically right exactly right. anyway Which, yes let's go on to act two the goodnight kiss saffron keeps trying to please mal in every possible way this includes cooking for him and um attempting to cleave to him Mal, guilted by Shepherd Book, resists as best as he can, but Saffron's sensuality gets the best of him, and they have some good kissing. In a plot twist, however, Mal then faints from what we would call the goodnight kiss. It turns out the lipstick had some narcotic on it, and it also turns out that our Mrs. Reynolds is not as innocent as she was playing. Saffron gets to the bridge, knocks out Wash after trying but failing to seduce him, and sets the ship on a course to a carrion house, a space station that strips ships for parts. Saffron then bumps into Inara and attempts to seduce her. As uh, previously discussed. As previously discussed. <laughs> really good scene. Worth watching multiple times. Inara sees through it, however. They spar, and Saffron escapes in a shuttle after hinting that Mal is dead. Inara goes to Mal's quarters and is so happy that he's not dead that she kisses him, and then, of course, promptly faints herself because that lipstick again. Turns out that Saffron was an Academy-trained companion, and boy, did she do a good job of sabotaging the ship. The crew can't regain control of it, so as they head for the carrion house, Mal has Jane use Vera the gun to shoot at the nodes of the carrion house, successfully shorting it out and enabling the Serenity to escape unscathed. They then suss out where Saffron's shuttle landed, and Mal takes it back after verbally sparring with Saffron and then knocking her unconscious. Anna, I forgot how much I loved the writing on this show. I mean, I hadn't watched this in probably about 10 years, I think, or I hadn't watched a Firefly episode in quite some time. And... First of all, the writing on this show is this sort of weird, you know, sort of mashed up argot of both sci-fi and Western talk, which has a lot of good lines, like the one that you said at the very beginning. Or, you know, like Inara wishing, you know, telling uh, Mal, I hope you have hundreds of fat children and so forth. Did the lines hold up for you? Did the dialogue hold up for you? Yes and no. 
I don't think it's the the whole Josh gate that has dampened it slightly for me. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's the fact that it's very of a time period, it feels to me. Hmm. Like, that kind of writing was hard to find, you know, in commercial media at the time. Like, the way that he wrote Buffy, like, Buffy's yeah. tone and the way that Buffy presented itself was mm-hmm. really revolutionary at yeah, the time. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. The mix of danger and quipping and the kind of right. the, the references that you'd bring in. This, it reminds me of, like, there are parodies of, like, Whedon dialogue out there and they usually kind of hinge on they're you know unfair like a lot of parodies right yeah. and they usually hinge on like it being a really dangerous situation and then someone being saying something like sort of blanket sarcastic like mm-hmm. can't believe that happened like somebody <laughs> you know dying and then like oh right. oops guess yep. they shouldn't come <laughs> you know like and it's not quite fair but it is now a thing I right? guess the, the one so I think I would push back a little bit in the following sense. I, I think you're right that, like, there is a Whedon-esque, you know, kind of dialogue. We've seen it in Buffy. Buffy was the, the pioneer. We obviously see it here. We see it in the Avengers. You oh, know, yeah. No, it's, what, it's, it's in the Avengers, I think, that people began to feel like it was a trope. Right. And in some ways, you can argue the entire MCU sort of, like, in, absorbed that kind of DNA. The one thing I will say is that with Firefly, it's a little distinctive for two reasons. First, again... A lot of the, the dialogue is Western in terms of, like, the yeah, the you, nature of it. Yes, and so yes. But it's a certain also, kind of argot. But, but also one other thing, which is unlike every other thing that Joss Whedon has done, this doesn't have any pop culture in it. And so yeah. it's a little more enduring, I think, in that sense. I completely agree. Uh, two yeah. things that I was going to add to your thing, which is, yes, yeah. there's no pop culture references, which right. makes it more timeless and right. less parodyable. Yeah. And then there is something I kind of – it's. Uh, not quite cringe, but mm-hmm. when you say the Western patois, yeah. it's just they don't use G's, right? It's like a lot of fixin'. Oh. And like, <laughs> eh, you know. Fixin' to do things, basically. And there's some, what I prefer, what I like about it is actually mm-hmm. the visual context of, that's the Western and sci-fi. I think yeah. that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And I also... I mean, especially once I found out that there was like a canon reason why everything looks like Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I like that we are really in the West. Yeah. You know, I think it it holds up OK. You know, I I maybe I, think it holds just, up I loved it. I, so I just loved it so much when it first came out. And yeah. I don't know what I expected, but it didn't blow me away. I don't know. I mean, first of all, the line of my days of not taking you seriously are seriously coming to a middle. I wrote that one down. That's like, I actually laughed out loud. I had forgotten about that line. I think also there might be episodes that are better written. I put it this way for weirdly for what we do in particular, I was going to say this, like these are not IR heavy episodes. There's actually one, I think called Janesville. I was actually Janestown. I was going to say that that actually might be the best episode of Firefly. I agree with you. And And it is rich. It's exceptionally good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fair point. I I think, let me put it this way. I don't want to say that the show is flawless by any stretch, but there are ways in which I think it winds up weirdly being more timeless than let's say Buffy or Oh, yeah. Like, I actually just don't watch Buffy anymore because, like, it does feel like I just want to freeze it in amber. Like, how much I loved it when I watched it. Right. And this, I I did watch it. I did watch the DVD and I did see the movie. 
but I hadn't seen it in probably like 15 years. Yeah. And I don't know what I was expecting, but, and I liked it. I did yeah. like it. And it's, mm-hmm. I should But it's be not like, iconic for you. It's weird because, you know, I had an impulse and I may follow that tonight and watch other episodes. Right. But, and maybe I should also just point out that, you know, we've developed really high bars for television, right? <laughs> this is true, yeah. And for this to even kind of get to, yeah, let's watch this, is mm-hmm. kind of a testament to it, you know? Yeah. Like, it holds right. its own against anything prestige out there right now. Yeah. I would yeah. say that. Like, and- any HBO, like, series, this is as good or better. Yeah. And also, especially in some ways, it, it meets that bar, even though it was airing on a commercial. Yeah, that's what know, I'm saying. A, like, it, a, yeah, it's, yeah. In, is that it, it is now, like, in the level of prestige television. Right. That raises an interesting question, which is, if he had done this, like, now, where, like, it would have been a Netflix show or a HBO Max show or something, like, it would have been interesting to... Oh, I think it would take it. off in a second. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the culture is much more ready for... Right. The I mix agree. of or that it can, or the, and more importantly, like there's a niche for this. It doesn't have to do great numbers for it to yeah. nonetheless, you know, do well. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move to act three. It's a heist episode. Our second episode starts with a butt naked Mal contemplating life. Flashback 72 hours earlier. Mal reconnects with an old smuggler friend who is newly betrothed to Saffron. Oops. Mal's friend bugs out, and Saffron tells Mal that she has a foolproof swindle all set up that she could pull off with the crew of the Serenity. Mal is, shall we say, skeptical of Saffron's intentions. Still irritable from interactions with Saffron, Mal meets with Inara, who accuses him of taking jobs so far out in the solar sticks that she can't do any companioning. They bicker, as they do, and Inara accuses him of not having the stones to do serious thieving. At which point Mal agrees to do Saffron's heist, which is to steal a rarity from the Earth that was, the Lassiter, the very first laser pistol. Inara, disgusted by this arrangement, takes her shuttle and heads to the planet to do some companioning. The gang hatches a plan that involves... Or so we think. Or so we think, yes. The gang hatches a plan that involves using Saffron's security codes to infiltrate the place, throwing the Lassiter into the trash and overriding a trash drone's codes to have it be deposited somewhere the Serenity can pick it up. Anna, what is your take on the whole notion of companions as articulated in this show? A weird mix of exalted status and meritocracy and residual disdain. Joss Whedon's thoughts on women in a nutshell? It's actually, that's a not the worst way of thinking about it. Yes, <laughs> I, I got to say, because, yeah. Yep. 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 I mean, on companions in particular, they clearly have a union. They do. Which, and they also yeah. clearly have training, which is important. Yeah, I yes. support. Yeah. But there has always been an irony about, you know, Jossgate, which is that he has presented such well-drawn, strong female figures throughout his career, Mm -hmm. and yet pretty credibly turns out to have been a real asshole. Yes. And he has, there was this, I mean, maybe I'll link to it in the newsletter. New York Magazine did a long profile of him. Right. That he clearly Not, participated in. That he clearly, well, I mean, he's in, yeah. Like, they, but like, it's, it's his attempt at a mea culpa, I think, of for what all. And of a the lot of it is like, I was, you know, raised by an, I think, abusive mother. It's like, it's very, it's, it's, very cringy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, not that those things aren't necessarily true, right? But no, he but doesn't they don't do a very good behavior. job of taking responsibility of what he did for, for what right. he did. But also, I, I mean, I think it's. 
I think it's important to point out that there are people who are call themselves feminists and have all the right opinions and vote in all the right ways and are still abusive mm-hmm. or still bullies or are still sex pests. I mean, yeah. people are complicated. You yeah. Know? And in some ways, I don't know. It's not that I want to erase Joss's sins. I really don't because like they're pretty serious. I mean, the one that still bothers me, which we don't know the, the stuff behind is Michelle Trachtenberg, who played Dawn in Buffy. Mm-hmm basically implied that like Joss was not allowed in the same room with her alone. Yeah. Which is just super disturbing. All of that said, it is worth noting though, that both on Buffy and on Firefly, there are legitimately like multidimensional female characters and, and many of them. There's not just one that like stands out. And it was an extreme rarity at the time. Like, and it was a conscious choice. Yeah. Having dealt with a few of these abusive feminists myself over the mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. I will say that what I often see yeah. is a pretty genuine desire to like make, you know, raise up women, mm-hmm. but that also seems to come from a kind of guilt. Oh, that's interesting. That is attached to whatever trauma, hmm. whatever like bad feelings, whatever whatever has happened that has also made them bullies. Yeah. Is you know, somehow like they both exist in the they same They want to space. compensate for it as it were. Yeah. Wanting to compensate for it doesn't mean the feelings aren't genuine, right? Right. Like I think he 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 wanted to make these strong female characters. Yeah. And he did, and they are great, and we can own and we can celebrate them in the and same way. And we can way. enjoy them, yeah. In the same way, I still am happy to read Harry Potter. You right. know, like, those things now exist in the world for everyone. Exactly. So I, it's not erasing his sins to say that. No, I agree. It's also acknowledging that Harry Potter, not so much, but but Buffy is the product of many, many people, right? Yeah. He didn't write every episode by no. at all. And the writing was actually... Another interesting thing about him is that he hired a lot of female writers. Yeah. So who have then gone on to actually have like if you look at the branch of like writers from Buffy slash Firefly, they've gone on to do many things. Yeah. So it just I I mean, I hate to sort of it's a truism. People are complicated. But Mm -hmm. I do recommend that New York Magazine piece. It's Mm. it's interesting. Although perhaps not in the way that he had intended. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right, let us close with our plot, Act 4, The Old Triple Cross. The plan to heist the Lassiter seems to be working until Mal and Saffron encounter the Mark, one Durin Haber. And it turns out that he was married to Saffron, a.k.a. Yolanda, as well. Also, contrary to Saffron's claims, he kind of seems like a decent sort. There's plenty of banter, and then Mal and Saffron trash the Lassiter and escape on Mal's shuttle. On the shuttle, Saffron acts all weepy again and gets the drop on Mal, leaving him butt naked in the desert and heads to the trash bin to take the Lassiter for herself. Looks bad for our protagonist, except that Mal had planned for this contingency. Inara turned out to be in on the plan all along and gets the drop on Saffron, taking the Lassiter and leaving her in the trash dumpster for the Alliance feds to arrest. The Serenity picks up butt naked Mal and heads off to their next adventure. Anna, one thing about the show, which we were just talking about in terms of it not just being about Joss Whedon, is how well cast it is. It always astonishes me watching it that Morena Bakarin was, I think, in her early 20s when this was shot, and yet does a tremendous job of playing someone who is way more sophisticated than Mal. Yes? Yeah, I mean, her relationship with Mal, to me, is still 
what makes the show run. Yeah. You know? Although the other relationship that makes it run is between Wash and Zoe. Yeah, it's it's a legit And they are good, a couple yeah. goals, right? I mean, yeah. that is... You asked me to pick out a pop culture couple that I would want to be like. Right. That's the one. Mm-hmm. He is um, he's such a great character. I mean, all yes. of this... Yeah, the, the whole, no, the cast. whole cast is extremely good. I mean, like Ron yeah. Glass as Shepard Book is amazing in this. And, you know, it, they're all really good. Yeah. yeah. It did make me wonder, like thinking, you know, reading through your script and knowing this question was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it made me wonder. Wait, script? What are you talking about, Otto? We do all this off the, all this, off, all just, the, all the fly. All spontaneously. Uh, no, go, go ahead. I was thinking, what would have brought in the right audience? Mm-hmm for this show if the ads had been better targeted yeah and part of me wonders if it, if it had emphasized the relationships but they would only see those as sexy time relationships yeah. i don't know what they could have done i mean to be honest like it's such a strange show in a way for its time like i don't know how you would have hit the audience that would have liked it i honest to god don't know i mean in some ways this was a sh- weirdly i think if this show had aired tw- 10 years earlier, it might have actually had a better chance or or now, because if it had aired 20 years earlier in a world where there were just three networks, it might have actually lasted long enough so that there would have been an audience that would have gotten in by word of mouth. It would have spread. Or if it was done now, it didn't need that large of an audience and it could have done something on Netflix or Hulu or what have you. And it would have been, you know, it would have found it, it, its audience in a much quicker way. I think weirdly when it was airing it was such a ratings obsessed period that like it it simply wasn't allowed the half-life that it needed to build the audience yeah and also i think you know it missed prestige tv by like five years right maybe. i mean prestige tv existed at this point you right, know what it but- was Weirdly, I mean, and it, again, it's ironic because the Battlestar Galactica. I was also thinking, ways, like, Battlestar Galactica, I think, counts as that was a prestige TV. It hit. does count as a prestige TV thing. And the weird thing, of course, is that Battlestar Galactica actually borrowed from Firefly. I mean, a lot of the special effects people on Firefly moved into to Battlestar Galactica. But it, like, if this had been post BSG, I think Sci-Fi would have picked it up in a heartbeat and it would have done extremely well. But was not to be although they did cancel <laughs> the expanse so <laughs> that's true yes yes oh my god i hadn't really thought about it but the expanse has firefly in its dna definitely it does yes absolutely oh no, no, no. The, the whole belter thing is entirely like the independence I, except the difference is that the expanse is is deeper and less funny and i oh, i yeah. mean that in, in a complimentary way because what firefly has a very light touch to it, which was nice and, and you know, pleasant, but it's a different kind of viewing. Whereas with The Expanse, it's like, no, let's explore what exploitation actually means, you know. Yeah. And you know what? In a weird way, if this had come five years later, if this had come after Battlestar Galactica, it would, I don't think you could fly by on how light it is. Yeah, that's possible. I think it would that's have to be point. a little more dense. Yeah. But we have more to talk about, Dan. We do. Yes. I have a question. What is it, Anna? Is there IR in Firefly? Anna, you can burn the land and boil the sea, but you can't take the IR from me because it shot through Firefly. Although I will grant you, as we said is before. It? Is it, Dan? <laughs> it is. is it? <laughs> it actually is, although not as much in these two episodes. Like, there are other episodes where there is more IR. Yeah. But the two things that you do see in both this episode and other ones are... First, 
one of the interesting things that Whedon does, or the, the structure of the show, is that it sets up the alliance as an empire. And, you know, empires have particular kinds of political structures, which usually mean there are orderly, routinized, actual legal relations in the metropole. And then the further you get out from the metropole, it's much more contingent and asymmetric and exploitative in the hinterlands. And that's where our crew and our ship operates. So this is a show set in a sort of post-Civil War environment, but clearly it's one in which the Alliance's reach only goes so far. And the further out it goes, the less sort of orderly it seems and the more sort of just purely anarchic it is. And that does fit a lot of sort of imperial relations that we think about in the Earth that was, as it were. The other way in which I think Firefly does sort of evoke IR is the idea of violent non-state actors. So this is a category of actors that a lot of both comparative political scientists as well as international relations scholars have started studying in the last 20 years, particularly since 9-11. I have a former student, Rabia Zafar, who's done work on this as well as plenty of others, on the notion that what we would call enterprising extremists. So enterprising extremists are those that seek power and wealth of, of some kind or another, and that very often they will toggle between multiple different purposes. Sometimes they will present themselves as religious extremists or religious zealots, rather. Sometimes they will claim to be trying to pursue ethnic separatism, and other times they're just going to be engaged in pure criming and sort of engaging in criminal activity. And, you know, turns out the crew of the Serenity had all of these potential traits. So it would have been interesting if the show had continued whether you could have seen a world in which Mal decided that he was going to become a political actor if the criming had become a little more problematic. I don't see that as a way <laughs> this could have gone. I also want to say that the, the term enterprising extremist, the first yes. thing I thought of were, is like the, the January 6th grifters. Like, <laughs> Not the worst uh, analogy. Let me like put Like the it that people way. like selling yeah. that shit and like yeah. the Black Rifle Coffee Company. Although, to be fair, those are true grifters. When we're talking about enterprising extremists, yes. at least within political science, we're talking about people actually willing to use violence, yes. um, not just to sell to those willing to use violence, but those using violence as a way of either achieving power or wealth, one of the two. You also wanted to say something about whether or not this resembled the civil, our civil war. Oh, yeah, it just struck, maybe, maybe this is watching in 2022, but it did strike me this time around that it seems awfully hard not to conclude that the independents were the Confederacy. Mm. Because the whole idea was that the Alliance wanted order, the Confederate, the independents wanted to be left alone. By the way, I don't think that this is, I don't even think this is necessarily how Whedon or the other showrunners thought about it. But it, it seems inescapable that there is a sort of lost cause element in the way that Mal thinks of what the independents were like and the way in which the sort of, you know, the Battle of Serenity Valley is valorized and so on and so forth. It's an interesting and somewhat uncomfortable parallel, I guess would be the way to put it. Am I wrong in that? I mean, did you get that same whiff or? No, I got that whiff. Yeah. I definitely did. I mean, it's it does true. help that Zoe was an independent. And so, you know, I, d yeah. I don't think they you I can't mean, just map it on directly. No, it doesn't map yeah. directly. I want to be very clear about that. The slavery part is is clearly not an element of this. But uh, but there is it, it seems hard not to conclude that there is a lost cause sort of feel to some of the, the stuff that the independents and the brown coats talk about. So, Anna, I have a question for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this show? Dan, let's ride right past where I explain exactly what that means. 
Because <laughs> this is a hard show to analyze, especially just these two episodes. Yeah. Joss Whedon is not super interested in questions of labor and capital. <laughs> I think. I might push back on this, but I want to hear your your. There your have been because the show occupies sort of the place that it does as a, being kind of a cult classic. Right. There are people who have thought a lot about this, and there yeah. are papers online you can look at. <laughs> I would say none of them take as the assumption that any of it is intentional, right? right. The consensus seems to be, and there is a consensus, like multiple people writing about this, is that the show takes place in sort of a narco-capitalist mind frame. The word libertarian does come to mind, and I think that was that one word of the... comes up a lot in in the writing about it too. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of the sources of enthusiasm for the show, and I would also say I think it's strongest in the movie Serenity because it's yeah. it that the plot line of the movie is very libertarian friendly. Let's put it. Yeah, that and that it is basically. That's what Mal's you know, yeah, ideology is. Exactly. It was funny. I was reading the transcript of a socialist podcast. <laughs> as, as one does, Otto. As one yeah. does. Uh, yes. About Firefly. It's, I'm going to link to it. It's a lengthy discussion. Okay. And what's kind of funny about it is they so clearly love the show mm-hmm. that they kind of, they keep trying to kind of rescue it. <laughs> like, <laughs> even though it is so deeply anarcho-capitalist, libertarian. Right. right, it's not. It's not a socialist show. There's just no. It's not way a socialist could... show. In fact, the anarchism piece is something that they really gravitate to to try and <laughs> like sort of rescue it from pure capitalism. You know, like <laughs> it's not hierarchical. No, it's pretty hierarchical, actually. <laughs> yeah. There's. Th- yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 And they do point out though that sort of Mal is like good libertarianism, and mm-hmm. Jane is bad libertarianism. Right. Like Jane is kind of Randian libertarianism. You know what? I, I this is a sentence I never thought I would say. That is unfair to Randianism. <laughs> it really is because Jane's just an idiot. Like that. That's the, Jane. I don't is think it's stupid. unfair to Randianism, but you're right. Jane is but an idiot. <laughs> Jane is an idiot. Like it, it's it's not the, the difference between Jane and Mal is not the good form and bad form. It's that Mal does have a set of ethics as a code, which Jane does not really. But also, Mal is just like. Three times as smart as Jane. I, I would I would say that that's actually it's not even about the ethics. It's just that yeah. Mal's smarter. Period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just that Jane's not even quite smart enough to like have a set of ethics, right. which would lead <laughs> us to a discussion of Adam Baldwin. But we're just going to skip right over it. We are going to ride right past it. Here's what I'm going to say. Adam Baldwin (laughs) does a great job in this role. He really is very good. He does. And I will say back in the early days of Twitter when it was a smaller space. He was on. Yeah, that's right. He was on Twitter and he and I had some pleasant interactions. Oh, good. Yes. I actually. So I don't know if you remember. A troll. Right. I don't know if you remember back in the day, there used to be something called Twitter Fight Club among the uh, among the foreign policy set. I uh, don't remember Twitter Fight Club among the foreign policy. There was set, a Dan. Twitter <laughs> Fight Club in which it was done like it was always held every March, like with the NCAA college tournament in which a bracket would be set up and you would have to like Twitter duel with your your counterpart. And I remember Adam Baldwin sided with the person against me, but I still won that Twitter fight and then wound up actually, you know, finishing runner up that year. So it was good. Well, congratulations, Dan. Yes. I actually, for just a, you know, giggles. Yeah. I was going to say, Dan, do you want to talk about capitalism working? Ooh, okay. Yes. Let's hear it. Go ahead. I think the afterlife of this show might be an example. Like, you're the big fan, you know, of the market. So Mm -hmm. you can tell me if I'm wrong. 
Okay. But for one thing, I don't think the market was working very well. This is maybe a failure of capitalism that mm. it was canceled. Right. Right. Or it was canceled too soon. Yeah. It was canceled yeah. too soon. Because yeah. uh, clearly there was a market for it. There is an right. audience for this show. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then guess what? The market started producing more. That's true. And the movie, I think, actually really did scratch a lot of itches that needed to be scratched. And so is a credit. And also there have been comic books. And yeah, I was like I was saying there's other... been and there's like a whole like, yeah. you know, the Comic-Con stuff like yeah. this show lives on, you know, in a big way yes. because there was a market for it. That is fair. And that. Yeah, that's a good way of market. So write down did, this day. I did want to say put it in your calendar, write yeah. in your journal. Anna has said that the, mar <laughs> market, the market worked. worked in this case. The one thing I did want to say about the show, which we haven't talked about, it's not so much about capitalism, but the, I was thinking about it watching it this time. The thing that, that struck me about the show was the interesting ways in which class plays a role. Because the show has, you know, characters that are very clearly like lower class or working class. Um, Jane certainly falls into this category. Um Kaylee falls into this category. And then there are the sort of upper class folks, whether you're talking about The Good Doctor or Inara, for that matter, or Shepard Book. And then, you know, there's the Mal's and Zoe's and Wash's of the world that are sort of in between. They're like middle management in some ways. The, one of the things that I, I thought Whedon does well or the show does well is to play some of this sort of class politics off of each other. In that, you know, the doctor comes off as wary, way too stuffy and like formal, and that becomes the subject of much mockery. But at the same time, Jane also, you know, his unsophisticated uh, approach on stuff also winds up becoming a source of, of amusement and so forth. So it was an egalitarian show in that you have people coming from different sort of st social strata, and yet it's an interesting mix. So it's odd how neutral I feel about all this. Like, you're right. And there's probably more that I could have dug up about this. But I almost felt like Josh doesn't care. Why should I? Like, I mean, I guess and the way we you, know, you think he cares. Oh, like, no, I no, think no. he's a feminist. I, I think he's a, I think he's like just a neoliberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, no, like, no, it's not that he cares. It's that. And maybe this is something about the sort of uh, sign of the times we live in. There are I, I'm trying to think of other sci fi shows where you have this. And, you know, you have, you know, like one of the problems of Star Trek is always that it's only the officer corps that you, you look at. Or similarly with Star Wars, it tends to be like, you know, only the Jedi and so on and so forth. Whereas with this show, it's actually an interesting mix. It's a heterogeneous group in terms of class. And, and that exists in other shows. I mean, I think The Expanse t tackles that reasonably well. Yeah, and the but the expanse also deals with like why there are classes. Right, that's true. Whereas, well, I mean, you know, this is sort of just a sort of posits like here they are, and we're not going to talk about how they got that way or what they exploited to do there or who was exploited by whom. It's just I guess here's our cast of part characters. of this goes to the I, you know what it is part of it. It just feels like a cast of characters. It feels like a ragtag band of people, not like a commentary on oh, class. It's, it's not a commentary on class, and I think I realize why. Okay. Which is in some ways this gets to your point about it's not. As you say, the show is not really a critique of capitalism, and part of it is because class in this show is not a function of wealth. It's a function of education. Yes. That's yes. the reason I would put that's, it. It's like, that's right. Although in the backstory for the show, it is a function of wealth. Right. But like Simon and Inara and yeah. River. Yeah, no, I'm, I completely yeah. agree. So it's, it, in some ways, and, and so that makes it kind of interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh, it's pieces of that thing that was going to... It's the carrying house, yes. Firefly, okay. it's the carrying house. Boom, boom, boom. It's the debris field. Yes. Mm. 
where we talk about the stuff we didn't already talk about. <laughs> Again, I'm always surprised when we get here and there's still stuff to talk about, but there always is. Yes. Dan, what do you have? Not a ton, but but some things. First of all, that theme song still slaps. I still, I've, I've been humming that theme song since watching these episodes. It's just, it's really good. And I'm not a real country music fan, but like, it's just a great set of lyrics and so forth. Again, I, you know, I think I enjoy this more than on it. The dialogue is is good. I did like this line, you know, where Shepard Book says, tells Mal, you're going to burn in a very special level of hell reserved for child molesters and people who talk at the theater. And in some ways, I love that line. And I agree with you that, like, it demonstrates that the dialogue. Ma- it's the very Whedon. It's, it's very it's like. It, yeah, it's it's. It is anachronistic. Right. And it's one of those things where, like, I think if that line had been written today, there'd be people furious about, like, how dare you equate these two things? And, like, I don't know. I like a time where you could actually make this joke and it it still works. I don't think that's why it's anachronistic. I think it's anachronistic because, like, what the fuck theater? Well, you know, there were theaters probably, like, even in the hinterland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I also like Mal's sort of, you know, thing about, you know, yes, I believe in the right to live and kill people. That was also very funny. It was libertarian. Exactly. Again, I feel the need to mention repeatedly that Christina Hendricks is super hot in this show. I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for that. You've brought up on a Jude Law numerous times during during Gattaca. Christina Hendricks. We we talk about my boyfriend. I can talk about my girlfriend, Christina Hendricks. That's all I'm saying. You know, and also like my other girlfriend, Gina Torres, who's amazing in this as well. You know, she is. She is. Again, the Wash and Zoe relationship is really cool yes. I, again marina bakarin as well i am very glad she's had such a good career after this because you know she's fantastic in this also it is interesting like i and we might disagree on this i wonder if the show had not been canceled would it have maintained its quality um i think yes even you as you said you like the first four seasons of buffy i don't think this show would have gone past four seasons and i think it could have made i think there were stories to tell in this universe and in some ways i i am sad that we don't see them on television I think, in fact, it might have had a, let's see, what do I want to say about Buffy? It's just that, you know what happened with Buffy Mm -hmm. is that the kids did grow up and they had to deal with that. And I understand that. Like, I understand that Buffy kind of had to do what it did Mm -hmm. because they were no longer in high school. Right. You couldn't pretend they were (laughs) in high school seven years after the show. You couldn't pretend they're high school. Whereas this, this show could have just stayed kind of what it is. I mean, the characters would develop, right. but they wouldn't have to be in an entirely new environment right. or they wouldn't have they wouldn't undergo the kind of extreme changes mm-hmm. that one does when one stops being a child. You know, the other thing right? is, is that I, and part of the reason I think I I like Whedon's stories is in some ways it was always the right mix of like episodic television, but also mm-hmm. plot through lines where, you know, particularly in Buffy, there would be a big bad every year, every season. And like there were things that would accrue from episode to episode but you could still watch a single episode and enjoy it and i think firefly you know in some ways was was like that yeah Uh, you know i have almost nothing really (laughs) one thing that bothers me and i actually really have thought about this (laughs) would bringing horses to these places be super efficient if you're gonna colonize a planet it's a valid point. Um, <laughs> you do wonder, and they, they I, seem to have a lot of horses also. Like They have a lot of them. I did think, okay, maybe they don't have fuel. That right? would, well, I mean, that would be like, a lot. In other words, the reason why you don't have them, you know, and also you don't have roads, bear in mind. So, you yeah. know, I mean, horses are a efficient means of travel in certain kinds of, yep. of 
thing. But I kept wondering, where did they get the horses? Although maybe they were cloned or something like that. So for some reason, I had in my head yes. the idea. So the, in the backstory for the show, the canon literature right. that the writers had, mm-hmm. these moons were colonized by generation ships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the ways you do generation ships is you just, you, you don't, in order to save space, you have the embryo. Oh, uh, right. Okay. The, so you could have just. You grow yeah. the people once you get yeah. there. You right. know? And I was like, well, maybe they had like horse embryos. That would actually make some like, sense. I have to say, what, what, yeah. so like I watched this on Hulu and. I can't believe I did as much thinking about it as well, I did, but I did. Look this about horse I, I watched this on Hulu and I've seen various iterations of this show, like on, you know, on, re- you know, in syndication and then, yeah. you know, the DVD. I think this was the first time I had ever seen it where it said the year 2517 AD. Like I hadn't seen that before, which does strike me as fascinating that there's there were, like in the one of the episodes they actually like there's Ron Glass doing the sort of quick recap. of. They what do happens. that for almost every episode after it got syndicated. That explains it. OK. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else at all I want to say about it. I feel weird about ha- not having loved it you know what That's, i it's here's what i'm going to suggest at some point maybe next summer we should revisit and do janesville because i actually or janestown i do think that is that might be the best of the episodes and i it, it would be worthy of its own show and that one there is a critique of capitalism there, and there's also some interesting sort of ir going on so yeah and it is adam baldwin at his yeah best. it's actually a it's a it's a good Jane episode, which is not something you would ordinarily think of. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're being calling out the cast. And so, again, for all of that, whatever Adam Baldwin has become, mm-hmm. he is great yeah. in the show. He is that character. Yeah. And that character needs to be what it is. And I did laugh. There is a scene <laughs> in uh, Trash where Saffron lays out the Oh, yes, plans, that's right. Right? <laughs> And someone says, isn't the first question anyone has, why aren't you doing it on your own? And then they all get distracted by some, they they get distracted by a different question. And then there's a pause and Jane says, why isn't she doing it on her own? I love the way that Safford responds. Great question. You know, like that was, that was actually priceless. Yes. That was a, that was a good low. It was a good subtle piece of comedy. Yeah. There was like, there's great timing, great intonations. And it is it Yeah. And that is all, had, that's all on actors, yeah. right? Like, that is not funny unless it's done right. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, like, there are, those are lines of dialogue that can be done badly, but done well, they are priceless. And, and Adam Baldwin and Christina Hendricks did it very well. I think that about wraps it up for us. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening, folks. If you aren't already a patron, become a patron at patreon.com slash base the nation. We also have a newsletter, really just about weekly at tinyletter.com slash space the nation. It got censored by Tiny Letter last it week, did? which I find it did. What did you do? Like, did you curse <laughs> something? Or like, you know. I, I've been telling people, like, I assume it was a vibe check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I do fear the time when, like, the AIs become sophisticated enough to say, we're not, you know, we don't detect a vibe consistent with your this normal This is a vibe. real bummer. Yeah. Like, are you sure you want to send this? I like that, yeah. That, that uh. AI and vibes do not mix. That's bad. And, and, and they'd sent me a note ah. actually saying oh, okay. it had been picked up by AI, their you know yeah. uh, software, <laughs> their algorithm software, and that obviously there was no problem. And I was like, All right, yeah, Fair clearly enough. vibe check. Yeah. But it does come out just about weekly again, tinyletter.com slash base the nation. We haven't thanked Karen recently. No, and we Let's should thank, thank Karen because, you know, she's indispensable. I think 
particularly last week's podcast. Last week's episode. Last week's podcast <laughs> required some serious surgery by Karen, and yet I'm sure it sounds seamless to our listeners. So once again, thank you, Karen. And I, I adore her <laughs> and, of course, Alwyn. Yes, so for, who's not a puppy anymore. So you, everyone should really become a patron. Keep Alwyn in kibble and pay for his college education. Absolutely. Until next time. Keep this channel open for more.